Ah, here we are again. Oh, how I've missed you. I assure you, my dearest darlings, no one is more eager than I to find out what fate will befall our three fools. But first, let us pause to reminisce on all that has recently come to pass. When last we met this way, our courageous crew was on the brink of facing down brutal disasteroid leader and Riot's former lover, Scavenge. The battle began in the sky as Crater Wayne invisibly stowed away in Scavenge's owl, only to bring it down with both of them still inside. I'm gonna turn towards Scavenge. Fuck. I'm gonna jump into a rage. <laughs> I'm going to pop out of invisibility. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> and then I'm going to take my great axe and I'm going to smash the console of this owl. Yes! yes! Oh my fucking... <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. Roll an attack. Okay, I'm going to make this recklessly. Great. That's a 25. Oh my fuck. I'm going to ask you to roll damage. And here's what I'm going to say. If it's anything below 15, it's still flyable. Okay. That is exactly 15 damage. <gasps> oh my god. Oh. Thou sensed under 15. <laughs> With an unconscious garbazine tucked away for safekeeping, Celestine and Riot pursued in their own owl, yet another airship destined to be violently reunited with the ground at the hands of our heroes. Go forward as far as I can, and can I make a move to steer the owl to like crash on top of Scavenge? <laughs> Holy shit! I was hoping to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You, yes. You'd have to use your whole turn to do That's this, basically. Fine. But you I'm gonna do it. it. I'm gonna <laughs> fucking do it. Jesus. Thank you. Holy fuck. Can I put fuck. on the brakes? Yes, put on the brakes. <laughs> for, for, for crater. Two plane crashes. And I just set my jaw and turn the yoke downward. Straight at Scavenge in the ground. Fuck yes. <laughs> I told you, man. She's gonna fucking murder you today. <laughs> At the last second, he's still running. He turns around just in fucking time to see this owl, like, collide with him. And just gets driven down into the snow. And fucking, when he gets up, he's like... <coughs> and meanwhile, my evasion looks like me doing a flip out of the owl's door as soon oh. as it's about to hit the ground. <laughs> a, fucking a fucking flip. flip. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> As Crater and Riot pursued Scavenge through Cransimmon Grove, Celestine called out to the Arcana for the strength to keep his friends safe, and the star provided aid. Celestine looks up at the sky, hands on his star map disc belt buckle, to whoever's listening. All right, you mysterious sons of bitches. Arcana, pip message... Whatever. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you really want from us, but I know you want something. All right. Fine. I'm in. But if you want us alive to do whatever it is you need us to do, then you are going to have to start helping a lot more than you have been. So come on. Help me protect my friends. The sky darkens just a little bit so that you can just make out some faint pinpricks of starlight. If you were to get up real, real close to them, you see that they're actually made of a bunch of tiny little stars, and that they're little humanoid-shaped 
constellations. As the pixies kind of give a little flit around you before dispersing, I think you hear in your ear, I'll always come running when you call me Celestine. As the conflict intensified, a steadily more unhinged scavenge began to vomit up ghostly specters of the people he once wronged, now returned for revenge. Scavenge takes two steps back and lunges forward, opens his mouth, gags once, twice, then a torrent of ghostly monstrosity erupts from him as he vomits it out onto the ground. For a moment it coalesces into one and then breaks apart into several spectrally figures and Scavenge stands ready to fight. At the end of your turn, Scavenge, the ghost that you were shooting at, that you hit a couple times, phases out of existence and appears directly in front of you. Oh. And it's going to attempt to grapple you. Oh my god. Fuck yeah. Okay, so ghosts are friends. Not food. <laughs> I mean, so far. And I rolled a nat 20. I did too. What? What's your mod? Uh, let's see, three. Minus three? What? <laughs> what? Oh my fucking god. Okay, roll off. We have to roll off. An immovable object means an unstoppable force. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, no, <laughs> don't worry about it. Well, hold on. What did you roll? Natural two. I rolled natural three, so I just... <laughs> oh, my God. The rest of you see this ghost disappear out of existence and then suddenly appear right in front of where Scavenge is running to, and it just reaches out its arms, and the arms go almost unnaturally long and start to wrap around Scavenge, and he tries to move past it, but the ghost has got him held tight. No, 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 no. The party cornered the worn-down Disasteroid in an icy cave where he was finally broken. Not by bullets and blows, but by remembrance and regret. I am going to walk right up to him and take my little golden thread of glowing energy that's still attached to my fingers from when I cast Encode Thoughts earlier. What are you doing? Shh. And I put it against his forehead. Wait. Why is this? Why, why does this And it feel? wriggles like a worm and burrows itself no. into his skull and disappears into his head. No. Why does this feel familiar? His eyes cloud over and these memories become clear around him and he can't see anything else. In the first, we were lying on the floor in our communal room in sodium surrounded by our found siblings and we're falling into each other's eyes. We're so young. We had each found another person who was equally lost and scared and missing pieces, but the pieces that remained fit into our own emptinesses. So we held hands in the dark. We were 18, and I stood by Scavenger's side as he had a brand new mod done to his left hand. It hurt, but I knew this was what he deeply wanted. Something we had both shyly joked about for years, gauging each other's reactions every time before finally confiding our desires. We walked out of the operating room, hands clasped together, as though the world was suddenly all new. And the world swirls together again, all around Scavenge's mind. And a third memory appears, again from Riot's point of view. Scavenge hurt me again. This time he used his mods in his anger. He was sorry after. He's hurting and I am too. I fear that I'm losing him. I scream as Scavenge plunges his mechanical forearm through Fairfax's midsection and rips out a fistful of wires and torn metal. 
Fairfax falls to the ground, and some of our siblings start to scatter. I'm one of them. I look back only once to scavenge. Standing in an arrogant pose, the remaining siblings who haven't run away coming closer, revering him. For a split second, I see him catch me out of the corner of his eye and turn in a panic. Suddenly, the little boy I knew in the dark returned to his eyes and reached out to me with his hand as though I was finally floating away. I look away sharply and continue to run hard. He doesn't follow. I hated that boy that you loved. And I was hurting, you're right. But what hurt me most of all was that I needed you, but you didn't need me. You hated him. I loved him. (laughs) And he's gone now. (laughs) He was. He was. The confrontation ended the only way it could. I walk towards him calmly. Yeah, yeah. And I come up to him face to face, as close as we were when we loved each other. (laughs) And I whisper to him, I'm sorry you got so lost. I'm going to run my short sword into him. This is the only way I would ever want to go down. And then he does. As the victorious Riot Crater and Celestine shared an emotional embrace, the box sang to them once more in the familiar voice of Quintessa Sombra. Aftermath of Scavenger's defeat, Pacemaker and the crew tended to Garbazine, who teetered on the brink of death. I need extra hands! He pushes his way out of the main tent, carrying a limp Garbazine. Celestine rushes over. Oh, I am so glad to find you here! Is there something that you can do? I know that Snowshoe helped him before, but he's not around now. I am afraid that I, I have not yet encountered someone in this condition. I fear that Garbazine has taken a lot of pig. Hey, buddy. Um, God, I don't know if you can hear me. But, okay. If you can hear me, I... Can you come back? I feel like things are just about to get good again, and I feel like we can... We can make some headway on everything that you've ever wanted that that, that Scavenge took away from you. He's gone. He's, he's, uh, hang in there. Buddy, we're not losing you like this. Wake the fuck up. Come on. Not today. Not today. Celestine takes off into the copse of short trees that's kind of surrounding this area here. Looks around for some herbs or plants that he might recognize, something that he might be able to 
administer to Garbazine to either slow what's ever happening to him or jumpstart his consciousness a little bit. Pacemaker sort of like gets a few vowels out. Some of them he sticks under Garbazine's nose a couple. He like tries to tilt a little bit into his mouth, massage down his throat, and then sort of starts just deep tissue massaging as frantically as you've ever seen him. And I'm going to roll medicine at advantage. Take guidance. It's a nat 20! Oh my god! Yes! Yes! Chagrin kind of goes up to Garbazine's body, kneels down next to him, and then they just sort of lean forward, and it's almost like they're sticking their head underwater into Garbazine. When they pull their head back out, Garbazine takes a great shuddering breath and opens his eyes. Hey, can I ask you something? Yeah, of course. You still have my my share of the money, right? Um... But they did not have Garbazine's money, having been flagrantly fleeced by Tutor Birch, who had sent the crew on a wild goose chase with bad information on Scavenger's whereabouts. Determined to see this wrong righted, our heroes paid a return visit to Birch and treated him to a fiery farewell. Celestine takes out a joint, <laughs> sparks it up, <laughs> looks up. I'm looking for Birch. What can I do you fighting folks for? Well, for starters, we're going to be seeing the return of that 1,700 gold you took for the information that led us exactly nowhere. I was sort of set up for this position here by a certain high-up specter who has a vested interest in circulating rat throughout the creation points of the Fifth Collide theory. So that that's, you know... If you know the specters, you might know a couple of names. Keep a name. All right, all right, all right. It's uh, it's edict. Of course. It's a bit of a gambit to I don't know. I guess maybe increase devotion to the Arcana and and to the specters themselves. Uh. So what's gonna happen now is we are gonna collect the money that you took from us. We're gonna collect any other money you might have, because as far as I'm concerned. All of it is ill-gotten gains. Oh, but I mean, how am I supposed... Oh, come on now. <laughs> You're retired, Birch. Celestine pitches the rest of his joint into the corner and uses Druidcraft to light it up and, and like, start a fire on the tent. Birch exits the tent and walks really freaking defeatedly, <laughs> occasionally glancing back at the alight tent. Some of the android children in this area come up to the tent and see it, like, up in flames, and they're like, yay! Whoa! (laughs) Great time! This creation point will need a new tutor, but uh, I don't suppose you're looking for a new line of work. I... me? A tutor? I don't see why not. It's kind of perfect. Pacemaker's, like, looking off into the clouds. You can always get... (laughs) Snowshoe to bring the barge up the river here. <gasps> at the end of the dock. Oh my god, couples to death. <laughs> However, Garbazine's pay was not the only promise our party needed to keep. The disasteroid ghost Chagrin was finally laid to proper rest, finger and all. This is it. This is this is where I am. He just put it under the ground? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dig dig down until you find my hand. Oh, I think I found it. Oh my god, I can't look. I'm gonna pee th- I'm gonna throw up. Just put it just just try to attach it. I'm gonna reach my pocket and grab the finger. Celestine is gonna cast mending yeah. on the finger and the hand so that they join up. I think I f- <laughs> I think I felt that. Can you give us the finger? See how it feels? Yeah. I'm gonna flip you my very <laughs> last bird. 
ever. And they raise their hand proudly, their ghostly hand, and they raise their middle finger, which is now reattached, and they look like overjoyed to see it. And it goes up into the sky, up and up and up until it just like up into the clouds. And then chagrin, smiling really broadly, just kind of whoops upward to join yes their middle finger ascended that's beautiful that was surprisingly beautiful (laughs) (laughs) and of course the crew completed the task they set out from the blink brush to accomplish the recovery of effigy's foot found among scavenge's hoard along with some cryptic information you turn the bag inside out first a couple coins drop out. Ding, ding, ding. And then a couple more coins. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and then suddenly a fucking flood of coins <laughs> rushes out. Oh, and shit. all of you are trying to keep it from falling out the cave side. It is <laughs> n- unending. The other item that falls out of the bag is something that is wrapped in a freezer pack. Effigy's <gasps> foot. On these maps and on these pieces of paper... Celestine and Crater, you find just some extra notes written in the margins. Riot, you can't see any of them. One note in the margin reads, Whatever else you collect, you can sell for personal profit 100% as long as you get those codes. Another one reads, Just let me know if she's getting too smart. Another one reads, If you get caught and need extra funds, seek ghosts in Venera Vega. And a final one that you find is, No sale, the orchestrator needs this one. The orchestrator. Our heroes rested a while in Crater's old home of Midmoss, awaiting transportation to meet back up with J.D. Detective. Riot treated herself to a new mod and helped Garbazine fulfill his dream of becoming a symbiote. Meanwhile, young Celestine hit the books to learn more about the networks. It's called Information and Emotion. What the PIP networks and what the dream and digital networks have in common. The abstract was suggesting, and in fact the entire paper, talks a lot about how the dream and digital networks seem to exist when you're interacting with it. So what happens when you're not interacting with it? And can you observe it when you're not interacting with it? Very similar to like how light acts as a wave or a particle depending on whether you observe it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you go to rest, you go to your respective network. But how do you end up there? Is there a transport route to get there? And if so, can we explore the transport route? Celestine, you've flipped through the book a bunch of times, and you remember that Snowshoe talked a lot about like the composite couple, two people that were, one was a human and was getting modded, the other was a symbiote. And at the time that they were doing that, it wasn't as accepted as it is now, and even now it isn't that accepted. So they were pretty famous for like being scientists, but they were alternative, <laughs> I'll say. So you remember that they're called the composite couple, and in fact, that term even comes up a couple times in the paper, and you keep closing the book and looking at the front page, and their names are written there, and every time you turn away from the page, you're like, what What were the names? I just read it. You keep going back to the names, and you cannot retain them. You get a name of a lab where most of the experiments that were held in this paper took place. It is called the Great Regal Exploratory Astrological Technolab, or GREAT for short. This is in a footnote. You wouldn't have even noticed it had you not been paying attention. Many experiments 
that took place in this paper were funded in part by the Houghton Heavies. Ah. Could these folks have done something in the networks to make their own names and identities just not available anymore? Roll an insight check to sort of compile your thoughts from the book as a means to answer this question. Nat 20. Oh Oh, my fucking god. You recognize that in one experiment, they did warn about being able to lose information. And you sort of surmise that what you just said could be the answer to the what you're looking at here, which is not being able to retain their names. You find one article about uh, an accident at the G-R-E-A-T, the Great. You don't find any further news about that, but you don't find any news about the composite couple after that happened. Gang, the composite couple are stuck in the networks. Armed with newfound knowledge, Celestine attempted to reach out to his barely remembered former companion, Quintessa Sombra. What I've learned here between studying this this research paper and Snowshoe is essentially how to kind of dip into the networks to observe without actually going under, right? I think that's great. I love that. Cool. This is how Celestine uses the spell Scry for mm. all this research and and, and studying and whatnot, the goal has been to find a way to connect with Quintessa Sombra, to to, to see if I can get some information about Quintessa Sombra, um, and I would like to try to do that. The scry spell works around you as you get sucked into the vision, a moving tableau of blurry green and blue. In your ears, a low rushing sound and a long plaintive note that extends before it and reverberates all around. It takes you a moment to realize that you're underwater and moving quickly. You're moving quickly because your target is moving quickly. And as you attempt to behold her, you are overwhelmed, fragmented and vast, kaleidoscopic and evasive. Sombra is present, but changed, massive. You recognize her, and yet you can't see her clearly. She's too fast and too much, and you are pulled out of the vision. Oh my goodness. When we were down in Aquacatch, the hags talked about this thing that had happened and awakened, and then we encountered that hummingbird at that temple of the hanged man, and I was given this, this information that there are three beasts associated with the the coming of the end of the collective journey. And one of them is is associated with the air, and one is with the land, and one with the water. And I think somehow Quintessa Sombra is the the beast in the water? DMs, where was the statue of the fool originally before it got destroyed? It was found outside of Aquaketch in the ruins. So underwater. It was underwater. We found this box that's been speaking and singing to us that was inside of a dog that was a part of a destroyed statue of the fool mm-hmm. that was in Aquaketch where where oh, the, God. the underwater beast is and now it is singing Sombra's song. Finally, J.D. Detective's drivers arrived, and for the second time in a very short while, our party climbed aboard a Nautilus helmed by Team Sprocket. But on this trip, we learned that the musical duo may not be your average no-good scrappers in a hip-hop band. 
Uh, but yes, we are planning on going to CGA. We actually got a uh, special admission. We didn't even have to audition. Did you? Not even once. Did you actually get special admission? Of course. Yeah. Probably pretty easy when your uh, step-parent is Patricia, right? What the shit? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know that name? Well, we can get around. It wasn't Patricia that got us in. It was obviously my mom and dad who pulled some strings and... Uh, now, come on. Who are your parents? Hmm... I'm really not supposed to say. Mommy told me not to. It's all right. You can you can tell us. We're all friends here. We're we're getting high together. We're sharing Doritos. It's a <laughs> it's a good time. My dad is the one with the money, and my dad is bon bon something. Bon bon. I didn't say it. Did you? No, I, I didn't hear anything. That just came out of her mouth. Yeah, that came out of your mouth. So you're a soulmate then? Uh, I mean, in name. And blood. So. And right. wealth. And wealth. <laughs> <laughs> but what else? Reunited with JD Detective in the vertical city of Paragon, Crater, Riot, and Celestine shared with the Diplo all they learned about the android organ thefts since he first enlisted their help in the matter. About Scavenge, the involvement of Riot and Teaspoon's agent Lux Booker and of someone high up known only as the Orchestrator. J.D. had his own news to share, and a new task for our resourceful rapscallions. The only lead that I have right now is that, well, I heard I heard talk of an orchestrator. An orchestrator, we heard that too. That, yeah. that is not Lux? I heard Lux talk about the orchestrator. Ah, uh, oh my. So oh my it sounds like... Based on that, there's someone above Lux. I would suspect so, yes. Okay. There's a few leads that I'm chasing here, and the reason why I'm in Paragarden. One of them is that there's a senior Diplo here. <laughs> His name. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Frank. Yeah. Senior Diplo. <laughs> oh my god, get it together, okay. His name is Beef's Impartial. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh um, god. Come on. I, I, I'm hoping to gather some information on him because I, well, I, I suspect he doesn't want me meddling and unfortunately for him I'm a grade A certified meddler. And he slipped up because I heard Beef's mention the orchestrator too. I'm hoping that while I and... Mr. Beef's impartial, have to be at this uh, mandatory Diplo meeting, you can perhaps go and collect evidence from his house. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that part later. The Spectres. Right, sorry, I keep circling around this uh, one central part. <laughs> we are, um, we're supposed to talk to Uncle Edict tomorrow about some strangeness going on with the Spectres and, well, things that were popping up at creation points. You mean rat. I mean rat, yes. Okay, sorry. So tomorrow yes. we're doing a beef steak out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> Is there anything so we're okay, we're we're breaking into a Diplo's house. Is there anything that we're looking for specifically? He should have something similar to a computer or something like that and go looking for the term orchestrator and see what comes up and do. Amidst an evening of Caesar-fueled silliness, the crew ventured out to see the sights of Paragarden and witnessed a broadcast of Teaspoon Time, projected in front of the great waterfall in the center of the city. What saved Muscleheart was trust. Trust in his fearless friends. 
His beloved friends who had watched him grow up, loved him even when he was far away, traveled vast distances and conquered the 13 trials to race heck on muscle hearts we have. I hope you all remember that. And I hope you all have your own fearless friends to face 13 trials for you. Or whatever number of trials. <laughs> Speaking of remembering, that reminds me. Don't forget that your friend Teaspoon is a judge at CGA this year, and I just can't wait to see all the talent the Fifth Collide has to offer. It's gonna be a riot, so tune in, turn it up to 13, and remember, we never tell a true friend our true names. Really hope to see you there. Reminded of Teaspoon's plea to riot for help and her shocking revelation that someone had her true name, the crew refocused their attention on finding a way to aid the children's entertainer and made their way to the Paragarden address Teaspoon had given Riot when they met in Viridesia. What they assumed to be Teaspoon's Paragarden residence turned out to be something different entirely. And finally, a mid-sized cathedral painted a dark charcoal making its burn marks impossible to discern. A large wooden door shows a painting of a rose, and above it, a simple sign in cursive reads, Rebirth. Transformation. Death. This is 26 Chantry Way, the Temple to Death? Doesn't seem like Teaspoon lives here, does it? It's the address on the card. The Temple of the Death Arcana was staffed by a specter named Finale 13, a scholar of cycles and collective journeys who recognized our heroes were on a unique journey of their own. I can tell a lot about the cycles that people are going through, and I use the roses as a tool of, I mean, divination sounds way more powerful than what I'm doing, but I, I do think I can, I like to think that I can use the roses to help guide people, and I watch for the roses either turning black and dying and wilting and that usually tells me that whoever is holding on to the rose needs to seek the end of a cycle you know they need to finalize something terminate something so that they can be reborn into their next phase of their life the new chapter or the roses will sort of shrink back into the bud because they're not quite ready to do that yet i've never ever ever seen it do that more than once and it looks like it's still going so i'm just gonna grab that if you don't mind yeah yeah you came in here and um my whole divination tool like went totally out of whack when you got close to it so there's something kind of extra special about you i'll say 13 quickly prove themselves to be pretty cool for a specter have you ever personally done rap before yeah i mean i went to college so the crew confided in 13 about the nature of the box and their journey so far and 13 shared what they've learned about the history of collective journeys do i know about the collective journey hell yeah dude that's like my whole area of expertise i believe that the collective journey is something that happens multiple times because i'm pretty sure the big oops was the end of a collective journey. Huh. There have been another a number of times in history that I call the false starts. I'm tracking areas in history, in recorded history, of course, so anything after the big oops, where magic spiked. Because I think that magic spiking 
could be an arcana extending their reach. During the fucking tower cycle, there was the worst war we've ever seen. So I think what happened was that was the start of a journey, mm. which then fell off for who knows why. My second false start was the Empress cycle when the Fae literally came into being. That's a huge spike of magic for a, a literal sentient being to be created, but then same thing, nothing more, it just dissipates. I really wanna believe that that was the beginning of a cycle. And then my third false start was the fucking fool cycle, which was the cycle before this, when a party so wild in Paragarden, magic was so heightened, literally it manifested the Fae here. There was fevered pilgrimages to Paragarden to take part in the party. It lasted seasons. By the end, the zone was literally aflame and people were partying through it. That's why I came here. It's the most recent false start because then it just stopped. What happened? Why is this magic reaching out? Are the Arcana trying to pierce through a veil? Like, are they are they not as powerful Ooh. as we think they are? This one's a long shot, and I'm hoping it's not a false start. But remember the big boom that happened a couple weeks ago? Yes, mm -hmm. very well. Kind of feels like there's been some shit. Oh, there's been some shit. <laughs> yeah, I think we can confirm there's been some shit. I'm just trying to keep my cool because I know all about the collective journey. I know all about the false starts. I think we might be at the start of a collective journey right now. You just came into my cathedral and my divination tool that talks about cycles just went berserk. What do you know? You believe then that we might be the catalysts of the end of a collective journey? I'm trying not to get too excited, but kind of. Now, the last time, if you are correct, and the big oops was the end of the last collective journey, then it was catastrophe. It was devastation. And so much was lost. Is it a good thing to complete the cycle? I can't say. This is just a difference of faith. I want to believe that the collective journey is possibility. My personal belief is that... It could be anything. Thirteen also disclosed that they are a long-time friend of Teaspoon, though there had been no contact between the two for some time. Upon hearing that Teaspoon was in trouble, and that her agent Lux Booker may be involved, Thirteen directed the party to the Palace Reservoir Casino, and someone who might be able to assist. You turn around to see a tall woman, dewy skin, half-lidded gaze, gazelle-like legs, and an impressive blonde blowout. This woman is bedecked in a full-body leopard print cat suit. We're talking one piece including the shoes, which click loudly as she strides towards you, hair bouncing. Someone gave Synthetique's name at the door, but, um... <laughs> Who are you? Oh my god, you're so beautiful. <laughs> I gave Synthetique's name at the door because we came to see, well, Chrissy. You're looking at her. This person is a Chrissy. Yeah, I was going to say, holy <laughs> shit, this is a Chrissy yeah. if I have ever heard <laughs> one. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> the colorful and commanding Chrissy confirmed she could provide useful information on Lux for a small favor in return. Here's the thing. Is I don't work for free. I'm sure you understand. His name is Vlad Honorific, and I need you to put him out. Chrissy disclosed that both she and Vlad are beings who draw power from thralls, those who have given away their true names in exchange for something else. I offer protection. They offer me, well, let's just say leverage. Vlad? 
food is after the same thing, but he takes less precautions. People end up hurt more often <laughs> than they do with me. They call us names Feratu. <laughs> In the past, we've been called things like ghouls, name suckers, vampires. I prefer names Feratu. There's a few hiccups that go along with being one of these. You're invulnerable, but you're also vulnerable. Your connection to your true name thralls empowers you, but it also kind of takes a toll, and every once in a while, we gotta take a big sleep. And every once in a while, someone comes after you while you're in your big sleep. And while it's not death, it does take quite a bit to come back, and that quite a bit usually comes from one of the thralls. And Vlad, <laughs> Vlad is sloppy. Vlad is drawing attention to names for Ratu, taking a heavy toll on a lot of his thralls. And so, if you take him down, which I don't know how you're gonna do, then you'll be doing some good. Isn't that nice? However, it seemed disposing of this Vlad would require something beyond the mighty blow of an axe or the well-placed bullet from a gun arm. Vlad, well, I mean, it's not that simple to kill him. He just comes back. I is there then no way to permanently put this Vlad down that you know of? Not that I know of, but if you find out, please tell me, because if it's possible, I need to make sure no one can do it to me. Seeing no other way to help Teaspoon, the crew accepted the offer. But Riot was able to trade on her own celebrity to gain partial payment up front. I will give you, Riot, one half of the information that I would have given you after you came back from Flats. And if you manage to kill Flat, I'll give you the other half. I'm going to look at Celestine and Crater in a sneaky way. This sounds much more like a, like a proper arrangement. I can fuck with this. Oh, hell yeah. Let's do this. Yum, yum. All right. Give me. Give me. Give me, give me, give me. We're in business. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. As somebody who is a names Feratu, monitors other names Feratus, knows about the process of the big sleep, I might be able to tell you when Lux is, is going to happen. Lux is a names Feratu. <laughs> I thought that's why you were here. That makes so much sense, honestly. With a long day concluded, Celestine, Crater, and Riot return to their rooms at Sister Mary Viable for a night's rest. But the Arcana had plans for our heroes beyond sleeping off one too many Caesars. Like last time, you have this sense of knowing. The knowing feels more concrete. And this time, as you feel the call from two separate directions, you might even be able to place a name to each. Would you like to? Yeah, I'd like to. It comes as no surprise that to the left, you sense the similar sensation that you felt over the past couple weeks. It's the double. You're compelled to go right, however. This compulsion now manifesting into a name. And that name, Justice. Which way do you go? And do I have to pick? No. Maybe I'm going to try not picking this time. So you sit where you are, but you have the sense of knowing now. And so you do not go. Celestine, you too. You feel as though you could put a name to them now. You feel quite faithful that the left is the right choice and that it leads to the star. But something to the right gives you pause. And as you reflect on it, a name, the Hanged Man. After the battle with Scavenge and Celestine sort of 
reaching out to someone for help and feeling like it was the star that responded, Celestine immediately goes for the star. What I love about life is the urge to go on, to start anew, to have hope in a bright tomorrow. There is only one other alive today who fills me with as much happiness as you, Celestine. Keep going. You will remember your purpose. You started already. The topic for today is purpose, and you may pick past, present, or future. I would choose the present, please. Your purpose in the present is to reunite with those who once shared your company. Crater. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's the call once more. Secrets call to you from your left and from your right. An overwhelming sense of warmth, and you feel as though you could put a name to each if you would like to. Yes, please tell me. It comes as no surprise to you as you open your mouth to name the presence on the left, and the word that comes out is moon. But it might come as a bit more of a surprise as you turn towards the positivity and open your mouth to give it the name sun. That genuinely caught me by surprise. Um, (laughs) I'm going to walk towards the sun. You have removed an obstacle on your path to happiness, but it is a shame. You could have done so well walking in the light while avoiding obscurity and secrecy. You could have basked in my warmth, which I offer freely at such a petit price. And you do not want to be under the cold light of the moon anymore, do you? Kretel, je t'aime. You are the world to me. I want to talk to you about success. Maintenant, choisir. Past, present, or future. Let's go with the future. A powerfully persuasive person is piecing together a great tool and asset forged from the best pieces of many. Mesmera's pursuit of perfection offers a sublime pass to my light. Sorry, uh, what? Claytail, I have secrets too. Is Mesmera in possession of my part as well? I think you get pulled back. No, 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 yeah, no. Fuck. I think Miss Mara's at the top of this. When they awoke, Riot was contacted yet again. Not by the Arcana, but by her assistant, who informed Riot of an opportunity to perform at the renowned talent competition Kaleida's Got Aptitude, being held in Paragon in a matter of weeks. Seeing this as an opportunity to get close to some influential people, including Lux, Riot accepted. Hey, Crater and Solstein. <laughs> Why are you speaking to us in that kind of voice? What did you do? Um, how would you two like to be in the CGAs? No. No. Well, what? <laughs> no. Why? Oh, it'll be fun. Why in the world would we do that? That we've been trying to keep a low profile. But listen, okay, Lux offered the spot. For multiple reasons, still no. <laughs> Our idea was we were going to attend CGAs, not be a part of it. Yeah, but imagine the access as, you know, if we if we actually played the CGAs. Played? What? <laughs> Ms. Riot, what in the hell are you talking about? Can you sing, Riot? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't. Yeah, I can't, like, I don't know, I can do a little one-two on a drum, but I haven't played in, like, a decade. The last time I did anything musical, it was with that moonshine jug, and we all know how that ended up. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't go too well, did it? Listen, my opinion is, 
that anybody can sing, anybody can play music, <laughs> as long as you know you they have get years out of your and years of practice. Way. Of course, no, yeah. I mean I think I think society tells us that we can't, and I think that's fucking bullshit. And I think this would be a good opportunity for us. And I think you both would do so great. Please, right? Like I, you need to understand that this kind of thing is not. In, in our nature here. We're not like you. All I'm asking right now is, you know, you don't have to say yes, but just think about it. If that's a no in a little bit, no problem. Ms. Riot, if you are indeed set on doing this, I will not let you do it alone. Oh. And Celestine takes off his hat and look, kind of oh. looks down. But I would need you to help me. <laughs> I don't know what I could do, but maybe you could. I, I don't know, coach me or something. I don't know whatever absolutely oh my god i, I live for this shit I've, uh, anything you need any kind of support i'm here I, I guess let's let's be in a band i guess right <laughs> <laughs> fuck it let's get garbazina send me my fucking drums yes if this little guy's in sorry excuse me if this big fella here is in <laughs> then i'm in too <sighs> Outfitted in some brand new duds, the crew headed to the home of Senior Diplo Beef's Impartial on the recommendation of J.D. Detective to search for information about the orchestrator. Though things escalated quickly as Celestine started the mission off with a bang. Celestine makes it to the top step and just trips and his head just goes bang against the fucking door. Ah! Oh! <laughs> oh. The door. oh no! And as you do, um, everyone roll a perception check. That's a nat 20 for a critter. Okay. 24. 19. All of you hear some footsteps coming from inside of the impartial household. Crater you also notice you take like a spin around to just make sure that there's no one in the streets and there are not, but you catch from the corner of your eye somebody in an adjacent house looking out at you who quickly drops the curtain. We got a nosy neighbor. Guys, we got a nosy neighbor. Celestine, <laughs> <laughs> right. stand up. Stand up real quick. Yep. Get on your feet. I hurt my nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we hide? Maybe? Why don't you two hide and I'll, I made the noise. I'll talk to the mic. Yes, and you two see if you can, I don't know, find a way in. The footsteps arrive at the door, and the door opens, and behind it, a woman, a very round-bodied, prim, and extremely tidy woman, not a hair out of place. She wears pearls, a floral apron, reasonable kitten heels, and there is not a crack in her perfect face of no-makeup makeup. Oh, hi! What can I do for you? Celestine takes off his hat. Oh, uh, hello. I am very sorry to disturb you, uh, in, in the middle of your day. I, I was just wondering if you had heard the good word about the star. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always told that a, a stranger who trips on your step is a new friend about to trip into your heart. So... <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I do hate to trouble you like this, but uh, if you had maybe just some some ice from my f- my my face uh, um or some some such I, I i am feeling a little unwell from that i'm concerned i may have a concussion is all oh no make a persuasion check can i cast charm person <laughs> <sighs> yep <laughs> While Celestine distracted Cake Impartial, Crater and Riot slipped into Beef's private office where they attempted to extract information from his password-protected oscilloscope. 
first, okay, first off, mission in hand, I'm going to open up the orchestrator file. You open up orchestrator file and the Ocelovox voice warbles on screen and goes, Security permissions required. And uh, a question pops up on the screen and it says, What was your favorite food as a child? Okay, a riot. Mm. I, we need to try beef. Like it, it, it is like it's just, it's the most obvious one. And if it yeah. doesn't work, then let's try to do your little code magic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fuck it. Fuck it. Beef. So you, you enter. Beef. You enter beef, and you hear password accepted. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Where did you meet your spouse? Can I text Celestine? Yo. You need to find out where she met her husband. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so serious. It'll be a second text. We're hacking. Please hurry. <laughs> We're hacking. And then as soon as he leaves, I, I text, uh, I, I text crater back risco tech. Risco tech. Password accepted. Orchestrator files. Document unlocked. And it's sort of like streams down on the screen before you. And it's all in wingdings. So you open up the Venera Vega files, your password input um, has sort of like opened up these files for you, period. So you're able to click them open, and basically it's a dossier of some very tenuous evidence, uh, first-hand accounts and rumors that have been compiled together. You sort of do a quick scan and surmise that it seems that the Diplos are concerned that Edict is trying to start a cult from within the Spectres. Finally, our sneaky sleuths uncovered the information they sought, but unable to decipher its code, they made hard copies to deliver to JD. Meanwhile, Celestine continued to divert cake along with her young son, Wellington. I brought four lemons. Is that enough? <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you so much. I have much. more if you want. I'm a chick cast charm person on the kid, too. Are you a cowboy? That's that's really cool. Ah, uh, well, I, I mean, I, I do like to think of myself as something of a cowboy. I try and dress the part at the very least. Uh, uh, would you like to see this bandana my mom made me? <laughs> Take off the star bandana and give it to him. Heck, bandana, whoa! It's a, it's a pretty cool bandana, I, I, if I do say so myself. Like I said, made by my mom. Did your mom make you anything like that? Nah, my mom only knows how to make stuff with lemons and beef. <laughs> <laughs> lemons and beef. Anybody need more lemons? Mom, shut up and tell me this cool cowboy in your claw. <laughs> okay. I just, uh, if. <laughs> with their mission handily accomplished, the party made a smooth exit. But not before Celestine received a parting gift. She goes and grabs a little scrap of paper and a pen from a junk drawer and writes down her number. Oh, oh is this? Passes it over to you. Just in case you'd like to talk about the star or anything, I just had so much fun. The crew then rendezvoused with J.D. Detective, who relayed the fallout of the Diplo meeting that had kept him and Beefs occupied that day. We went back and forth a lot about whether any nominated party could be considered for tutor or should we only let, you know, specters become tutors. And after a long talk about that, we decided that, well, we think that only specters should be allowed to be tutors. Mm. Mm. Well, see, that's a problem for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go on. Well, we installed a tutor. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) We are installing Diplos at every creation point. (laughs) I didn't think that we had the resources, but they seem to be really cracking down on whatever's going on with this specter creation point rat... All this stuff. Edict is a powerfully persuasive man, and 
Well, it seems that the Diplos couldn't find anything on him. He's totally innocent as far as they're concerned, so it sounds like the Diplos want to shift their attention to Rat, try to figure out where it's coming from, who's carrying it, make it a bit more controlled. Wait, but did, did no one step up and, like, question whether Edict was the one doing this in the first place? Oh, of course. He was under rigorous questioning, but, but nothing he, seemed to stick to him. He talked his way out of it. Yes, he did. The day's revelations did not improve as J.D. determined he would be unable to break the cipher on the newly acquired information without Beef's personal decoder ring and tasked the party with acquiring it. And so Celestine used the number given to him by Cake Impartial to arrange a meeting in hopes of coercing her into helping them steal the ring. Should I message her and see if she'd like to meet? Yeah. yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an arm around Riot. Take her off so fast. Don't they? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to grow up this fast. <laughs> Marriage reckons advanced stuff. <laughs> you send out a message to Kate. What does it say? I surely enjoyed meeting you today. I think I felt something between us. I expect you felt it too. Probably about an hour after I left. Um, I do believe that was, uh, that feeling was the Arcana telling us that we should meet again. If you would be so kind as to come down to the spray zone, I would love to, well, I would love to treat you to a malted. Oh my god. That's like a four paragraph Winky face. You finally get a text back, and it reads, No need for additional charm, smiley face, and winky face. More chats and a malted sound really exciting. We'll be there shortly. Wheel? Smiley face. Wheel? Smiley face. The text then ends, Blessed be the fruit, LOL. (laughs) Cake agreed to meet with the android cowboy she knew as Steve. But the crew's scheme was complicated by the presence of her son, Wellington. While Celestine and Cake shared a malted, Crater and Riot caught Wellington on his own and employed a little duplicity to persuade him to pinch his father's ring. What do you think we should do here? Do you think we should, like, make a play on this kid? Not, not like, in a gross way. Not like, I just mean, like, what we were talking about before. <laughs> like, try to convince him to steal his ring from his father? Yeah. Kids are suckers for, like, spy stuff. You know, he is thirsty for action and not in like a gross way again. Just to read. <laughs> keeps coming back around. She's like, uh, can't say gonna... anything. <laughs> we are to him undercover spies from like the Collider's Intelligence Agency or something. Oh my God. Yeah. That sounds oh my awesome. God. Like this kid will eat out of the palm of our hand, not in a gross way. <laughs> We have uh, recon implicating a certain person in the Diplos that you may or may not be affiliated with on counts of espionage, bribery, and treason. Whoa, whoa. I haven't, I haven't espionaged anybody. I don't know what Kevin told you. Listen, we're willing to make a deal here and overlook all of this so that you and your family never have to lose everything. What, we just, what do you mean everything? All that cushy comfort, all those games. No, my games. You can keep them. If you help us out. What do you want me to do? First kiss somebody? Gross, but I'd do it. We're looking for a a ring. Oh, yeah. My mom's got a ton of those. I can get you a ring, no problem. We're looking for a specific kind of ring. Okay. I believe your father has a certain ring 
that we are looking for. My dad. Listen, we're putting you in jeopardy giving you any of this information. We're not at liberty what? to give more. I'm in jeopardy? Not if you help us out. Oh, my gosh. The only way to ensure <laughs> oh your my family's God. safety oh my God. is to do my, this for us. My family's going to die if I don't steal my dad's ring. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You said you're from the Collider's Intelligence Agency? That's right. So I'm like, am I like an agent now? Absolutely. You're... A secret agent. Secret agent. And listen, like, it's really important. This, ev- this will jeopardize all of your potential future career in this. You gotta keep it tight-lipped. You gotta not tell any of your friends about this. You gotta not tell any of your family. Show us how good you are at being a special agent. He's, like, punching the air, and he's like, Yeah, probably won't tell anyone. Meanwhile, the awkward Celestine thoroughly bungled his cake date and, in a panic, resorted to a powerful but morally dubious spell. I just really appreciate you coming over to to meet us, and he really took a liking to you, you know? Like, he really likes you. Cake, I'm gonna be... I'm gonna be very honest with you now, all right? I have to be very clear that I think your life is terrifying. <laughs> I think that your husband does not appreciate you, does not treat you well. And uh, I think that you could just be doing so much more. I think that there is so much more out there for you. Make a persuasion check. <laughs> no, that's a four. Well, Steve, um, I'm shocked to hear you say that, to be honest. I feel like I've done nothing but show you how, how wonderful my life is. And, <laughs> and you know, there might have been room for something here but if that's the way you feel about me then oh my oh no i knew this was gonna happen oh no, no sh- 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 sh. It's i okay. don't know no, listen listen Kate, i don't Kate. know what our future holds Kate, Kate. Oh okay all right i did not want to, i did not want to have to do this oh my no oh no all right all right cake look at me look at me and I look her in the eyes, and I cast Gesh. Oh, <laughs> my all right. God. Cake, I want you to calm down now, all right? I'm your friend. I'm here to help you. Okay. All right, you understand? Nod if you understand me, okay? Let's stop that crying now. And he reaches out with one of the with one of the balled-up napkins and just, like, dabs her face a little bit. Oh, God. All right, Cake. Here's what I'm going to need you to do. Your husband wears a ring. It is a special yeah. Diplo ring. You're going to get this ring, and you're going to bring it back to me, and you're not going to say anything about ever meeting me to beefs. We can't go back here. This is only for first dates. With not one but two impartials enlisted to loot beef's ring, the crew reconvened with Finale 13 to contemplate the assassination of Names Ferratu, Vlad Honorific. Do you happen to know anything about how to... How to kill a names for Atu or whatever. Not Chrissy. Not Chrissy. Not Chrissy. Yeah. Holy shit. What I do has to do a lot with the, like I said, the transaction between Chrissy and her thralls. As maybe you know now, there's a bit of an energy transfer, um, especially when Chrissy needs to recuperate. And that's typically when her thralls come to me for um, for healing. I'm actually sort of able to help them in the network. I mean, we know that 
names have some power there, and maybe that's where their energy is being taken from. Thirteen, have you ever uh, searched for Vlad's thread within the networks, or even Chris's for that matter? I have, actually. It's not easy to find someone's thread unless they're here with me, or unless, in Teaspoon's case, you know, I, I have her true name. Sometimes I'm able to find their threads a little easier when they're in the sleep because I can hear that buzzing there too. If there was some way to use that within the network to, I don't know, cut off Vlad from the energy that his thralls give him, e even if it was just briefly so that he could, couldn't could come back once we'd done what we needed to do, uh, if there was any way to do that, that would be, well, That'd be something. So the names for Atu retreat into the networks to regenerate, maybe? And if we kill them there, we kill them everywhere. We kill them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you die in the game, you die in real you life. You die in real life. Uh, <laughs> or at the very least, we, we weaken we weaken them and make them mortal. Yeah, we can, yeah. We can sever their ties. Yeah. Their access for energy, yeah. Thirteen looks at you and just says, I mean, that sounds like a plan to me. Are we going to go into the networks? To kill a names for Atu? I think we're going into the networks to kill a names for Atu. Frankly, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's go into the fucking networks to kill a names for Atu. Before putting their plan into action, the crew reunited with Linger to return Effigy's foot and to request any assistance he and Tudor Spruce might be able to offer in keeping Pacemaker and Snowshoe in their positions as tutors of the Mid-Moss creation point. No sooner did Linger depart than the crew received another inexplicable pip message. That box of yours is excited. Its magic is pushing and pulling, and it's only a matter of time before a beast gets close to you again. That's good. Speaking of closer, the Arcana are getting closer too, aren't they? Hoo boy, that might not be so good, don't you think? Don't you think? The fuck? Uh, fuck. We went almost all the way, you know. A hop between networks, a quick step out of time, then a straight shot all the way to the space between. After all our research, all our endless nights in the lab experimenting on each other, poring over pip schematics, we were there, we could taste it, but we just weren't built for the point. <laughs> and we didn't have the key. But you'll have the key, won't you? Well, in any case, I want to help you, but I'm running out of time. Space, If you remember us, it makes it hard to remember myself. It makes it hard to remember even our dearest love. Her name was Arisa. And we are... Well, we don't know what we are anymore. Not Arcana. Not human or android. Not alive. Not dead. Slipping away in want of a name. You. You understand what it is to not know your true names. Tether us. Name us. Name us. Name us. Right, that's the answer then. The cop is a couple. Delighted to make your acquaintance. Now, true nameless ones, why you? Who 
are you? We're the three fools. Yeah. So we are. So was I. As they digested these new revelations, our fools three headed to Vlad's mansion for a little reconnaissance in preparation for doing Chrissy's dirty work. To their surprise, they arrived to find an event taking place, which the party realized too late was actually an initiation ritual for Vlad's new thralls. Thank you, everybody. Let us gather around in a circle as we perform the incantation to begin our initiation to our Prince Vlad. Oh, Vlad, Prince of Exquisite Midnight, Take us into your bosom, into the refuge of your ravishing hugeness. May the devil's blessing protect you as you slumber, and may the devotion of your new thralls engorge your power. Our true names are yours. Our true names are yours. And everyone starts chanting, our, our true, true names, names are, yours. are yours. And you hear, our true, our true names, names are, are yours, yours Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Our true names are yours over and over, and it starts to build and starts to crescendo. But as it does, Riot, you're distracted by a different voice in your ear. I told you consequences would be dire. The devil's influence attempted to compel Riot to drink of the clamless initiation, Caesar, but she was saved by the keen instincts of Crater Wayne. When they refused to partake, our heroes were prevented from leaving by Coke's Archaic and the rest of Vlad's cronies, and a scuffle ensued within the magically darkened hall. Somebody get this guy off me. These Caesar-slicked fingers have you fast, and the person who has you moves a few steps to the middle of the room where you can see the outline of the illusory magic, and attempts to throw you into that middle of the circle and I'm gonna have you make a dex save not one. Oh boy that's my boy it's just a magnificent <laughs> toss somehow their strength is enough to like send you hurtling up into the air and you try to grasp for the ledge with your fingers but you just miss and it is an illusion and you fall right through it crater my dad instincts like goes off immediately. Oh. I think I can assume there's a hole in the ground here, so I'm just gonna fucking swan dive in there. <laughs> swan dive? Oh shit, Ryan, I'm sorry. <laughs> Trapped within the basement of Vlad's mansion amidst rows of coffins and an imminently coagulating blood beast, the crew found refuge behind an ornate door which led to Vlad's bedchamber and the names for Artu himself asleep amongst black silk. Naturally, our courageous crew did what any true heroes would do. Should we get comfortable, too? You want to, like, hop into the bed? No. I was going to say, we could just lie right next to him. Uh, yeah. Maybe a, a, a close physical connection will help us find him in the networks. Okay. And the bed looks comfy as hell. The silk black sheets. I kind of want to know what black silk feels like, you know? Uh, okay, I'm going to send 13 a little message and be like, Hey, with 
Vlad sleeping. <laughs> um, what do you say we make a make a shot at entering the networks? Please advise. Help. <laughs> okay, you get a pretty quick text back that's just that just reads right now. Are you coming over? Can you come here? Perhaps they can. They can meet us in there. Yeah. Meet us in networks, maybe? Question yeah. mark, question mark? You get a text back that's just three mind-exploding expo- emojis. <laughs> and then the next text says, I'll do my best. I'll try. I'll follow the noise. Upon entering the digital network once more, Crater, Riot, and Celestine realized that they were in the wrong place. As a human, the network manifestation of Vlad was likely to be found within the Dream Network. And so, beginning with Riot, the party followed 13's guidance to transition between the networks for the first time. I have to imagine the part of myself that would belong in the other place. And then when you feel that, just grab hold of that feeling and embrace it. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to conjure up a memory of when I was little when I would run through the the cornfields and just be so filled with an energy, all of the vegetation on either side would whisk by my legs, by my arms, I could feel it on my skin. I was entirely human. I had no concept of being anything but. Celestine finds that part of himself that really thinks of himself as Ma and Pa's kid. Celestine had parents like a human child to to teach him things. Ma taught him how to how to grow things and Pa taught him how to how to drive things and fix things and they they treated him like a son and loved him like a son and I think it's that part of himself that he focuses on right now. I think the part that Crater really hones in on is like the primal instinct to be a father wanting to have a child of his own. Like to a certain extent, like Crater understands that like his brain is partially programmed, but it feels like a primal desire to create a new life, which I think he associates with, with that being a very human emotion. After a rough arrival in the Dream Network, Celestine and Crater came face to face with their doppels, unsettling manifestations of aspects of one's personality with which they struggle. But, undaunted, the crew pressed on through the memory tier into the emotion tier, where they were given an opportunity to peer into the emotions of another. Then we go towards self-doubt. You move towards that feeling of self-doubt, which turns out to be yellow light. It fills you and surrounds you, and you're fishing for Mesmera, and then there she is. You see a vision. She is presumably in a home, one of her homes, holding a letter as her fist trembles slightly. You see Bonbon come up behind her and take the letter from her hand and say, maybe this is for the best. And she looks up at him with uncharacteristic self-doubt. Her experiments at the grate have been discontinued. She is banned. You try to hone in on that letter. You can see that it is signed by the office of the regent and that it refers to something going wrong with her experiments. And it is a ban for essentially as long as the regent is in power. Okay, uh, then frustration. The feeling of overwhelmedness rises and you see Ms. Mara darting back and forth between a computer and her pip. 
back and forth, back and forth, click, 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 click on both of them. Something is going wrong, and she becomes sweatier and sweatier and faster and faster as she tries to control whatever experiment is happening before her. And you see two metal slab tables with two sets of just clothing lying on it as if someone has like come up and laid them out as if there's a person but there is no person just clothes on a metal slab and beyond that through the window tall grass a lake mountains (gasps) crater what do you think want to take a stab I'm not very wise. <laughs> That's, Crater, that is patently untrue. I have learned so much from you and your life experience. That is, don't you sell yourself short, fella. Well, uh, that was a nat one. Oh, oh no. That's oh, so my God. God. Mesmerin knows our exact location and what can kill us. <laughs> As the crew struggled to find their way to the next tier, Crater once again spotted his doppel and this time followed after it, only to be met with hostility from not just his own, but also Celestine's, and a collection of unknown doppels. A fight ensued in the colorfully illuminated battleground, and as doppels fell, one by one a vision was visited upon each of our heroes. There's only one way to truly achieve control, Riot. Influence. Look at them. They need you to bind them. There is only one path to absolution, Riot. Influence. Look at them. They need your rule of law. There is only one way to pause everything, Mr. Wanderoff. Look at them. They need your surrender to keep things the way they are. There's only one path to be reborn to your memory, Celestine. Hope. Look at her. She needs your face in order to meet once more. Zelia's only one path to success, Claydale. Vitality. Look at them. They need your strength to breathe new life. There's only one path that conquers fear, Crater. Your subconscious. Look at yourself. He needs your strength to shatter the illusion. Facing down a sea of doppels, Crater, Celestine, and Riot finally escape to the manifestation tier by reminding themselves of the unreality of their surroundings. But before long, the crew found themselves gazing upon a familiar dwelling, Vlad's Manor, or at least the manifestation of it in the Dream Network. Feeling time was of the essence, the party pressed on, past peculiar goats, along the path of ica-laden threads that ran about the mansion, and through moving doors into rooms that materialized Vlad's fears and desires. You open the door where you're getting this sense of admiration, and within this room, the ever-shifting wallpaper continues, but rather than doors and hallways, it's a contained space, shadow boxes, portraits and like small tables kind of loop in a pattern around the edges of the room each containing various pieces of memorabilia ephemera collectibles you recognize that all of these pieces 
are Patricia Tremolo memorabilia. <laughs> There's one item that isn't like rotating. It's on its own pedestal and like underlit like it's a an item in a museum. And approaching it, it is a playbill with a header that has Patricia opening for Vlad at some, you know, <gasps> nondescript, undescribed show. You might be able to intuit that like this is a manifestation of Vlad's like ultimate inspiration. All right, let's go with uh, the fear. You open the door where that sensation is coming from, and you find another smaller door with a sign on it that says, do not open evil inside. But before you can even decide whether or not to open, your intention opens it. And inside, a Boston pizza manager-looking office. (gasps) Messy papers and schedules, the desk and chair, but this time... The room is occupied by scores and scores of cats, little kitties and kittens playing, napping, and purring, and amidst them, with one in her lap, sits Chrissy. Yes. She goes, I know what you're going to say, but I couldn't give you the last true name, okay? I know you've been an intern for three years, but I just really needed this one. Next time, next time. Oh my God, he was a low-level employee of Chrissy at one point. She created him. Oh, (laughs) Right, I know you're trying to avoid the longing, but... Yeah, let's do it. Only if you're comfortable. Rip the band-aid yeah. off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing, doing it. it. We're ripping the band-aid off. You open yep. the door to that feeling of longing. And beyond it, beautiful, soft, colored light. It's a beautifully lit room with seats facing towards the front in rows. Long wooden seats, pews even, facing toward an altar draped in light from many stained glass windows. Echoing through what you realize is a chapel, you hear, I brought you my true name, and you brought me your love, 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 love. And it echoes throughout. Do we recognize that voice? Yeah, it's Coke's. (laughs) (laughs) After peering upon Vlad's most personal and private moments, the party found another familiar-looking door. One seemingly identical to the one they passed through in the real world to arrive in Vlad's bedchamber. And, once again, within they found Vlad himself. The lid of the coffin cracks open and you behold him. Vlad manifested, a great deal more impressive than the version of him next to which you sleep in the real world. Long blonde-haired, pencil-mustached, ruffle embellished and elaborately embroidered. Emerging from him at every angle are the golden threads, though they grow more tarnished, tangled, and icker slick the closer to his body they are. An angular red electric guitar dangles from his neck, and as he as he takes it into his hands and prepares to rip out a nasty chord, you realize it is strung with the golden threads themselves. Ooh. And he and he says, oh, oh, "Visitors, welcome to my haunted boudoir." <laughs> <laughs> Real initiative. Oh, <laughs> Do you want to be in our band? Yeah. Is that an SG man? <laughs> and as this impaling happens, you notice that like the threads are winding through the guitar, around the hilt of the sword, around Vlad, just sort of warding him. And he says, both in his voice and in a voice that is now intimately familiar to you, especially Riot combined 
they say. They're happy to give me their true names. <laughs> They're dying for it. Our fearless fools valiantly engaged Vlad using the secrets they discovered within the manifested mansion to weaken his resolve. Uh, as a bonus action, I'm going to say Vlad could never to his face. <laughs> okay. With spit, if I might add. Riot. <laughs> you deliver a perfect rendition of that one audience member who said Vlad could never. As you touch down on the ground and look at him, you see him, he's shaken. He's so shaken, in fact, that you watch as the golden threads, the golden light is pulsing, and it seems to, like, hit a bottleneck right before him. You suspect that whatever was pulsing through these threads to regenerate him, you've put a stop to it for now. Oh, all right. Not nothing. Not, it's definitely not <laughs> nothing. <laughs> But in the end, our heroes, still worn out from the events of the day, were bested by Vlad and his goats. As Celestine lay unconscious on the ground, Riot and Crater abandoned the mission and willed themselves back to the waking world, taking young Mr. Wanderoff with them. The last time our party returned from the networks, Celestine was gifted with a revelation of sorts. This time... They all were. We will remember you, who once shared our company, and our decision will be instrumental in realizing your decision and in recovering precious lost knowledge. The prevailing knowledge of the time, in essence, the concept accepted by science was that the digital and dream networks were created. The digital network was engineered as a cooperative effort. Between Regent Phase and Advisor Fate, their mission? To store all known data in a centralized capacity, to register all living creatures within that data bank, and to provide androids with, with wider access to the arcana. The amplifier, meanwhile, was constructed as just that, an amplification of that data, and an amplification of the administrator's power over that data. The administrator being Faze herself. Meanwhile, the prevailing knowledge of the time tells us the Dream Network was engineered in secret by a group of humans, presumed to be the same human scientists who were working to genetically extend, extend the lifespan of humankind. The Dream Network's purpose is lesser known but assumed to run parallel to the digital network. Only, rather than data, the dream network sought to preserve memory, emotion, and magic. This prevailing knowledge was incorrect. The digital and dream networks were not created. They simply were. For how long, we cannot tell. But at least spanning back to when androids were said to have... To have created the first humans. The network's storage of information, calculation, memory, emotion, and magic is inherent to their existence and was always accessible in a limited capacity to all living creatures through dreams or through, or through a deep meditative state. What did not always exist was the space between the networks. The space was created from necessity. The space was created with intent. The space was created by the maw of a great empty chasm that opened wide at the end of a collective journey. This space is secret, hidden from androids, from humans, from the Arcana. The space between is born of, born of preservation. Born of protection. Born of love. Born, 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 born of the 
trio awoke in the still-sleeping Vlad's bedroom, and Finale 13, with help from the Fae, provided the distraction necessary to make a safe getaway. Once out of harm's way, Celestine was overcome with despair at his inability to keep his friends in the fight, and at what his vision from the Arcana might mean for their friendship. Celestine, who has been kind of silent for the whole ride, just sort of breaks down in tears and is like, it was my fault. In what? No! I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't heal everybody and I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep us all up. I, I didn't, that is not I didn't do it you. good enough. No, no. I'm so sorry. Celestine, I think the most important lesson you can learn is sometimes you just lose. It didn't need to happen like that. I, I left Mom and Pa's farm to figure out who I am. And I, I, just when I feel like I've found the thing that I'm meant to do, I, if I can't do it, then... I'm, and then when we were in the... When we were in the network there, fighting all those doppels... I saw two things, two futures, I guess, and one was with y'all, and it was so nice, but the other one, the other one was with Quintessa Sombra, who, who I do so hope to see again, but, but y'all weren't there in that one, and I don't know, I don't know what that means, I don't know if that means that finding Quintessa is gonna mean losing y'all. I want to be here to protect my friends, but I want, I also want to find what I'm missing, and I don't, I don't know how to do both those things. I'm so sorry. Just as emotions were calming and the party was stealing themselves to pay the fay as promised, with many truths and dares, the moment was interrupted by some diplos who desired a word. That's when you hear it footsteps behind you. You turn around. You see three Diplos. You recognize Jurisprudence Lee, and you do not recognize the other two, but you do recognize the look of suspicious authority figures who have recognized you. The three go to surround you, and Jurisprudence steps forward. Steve and possible accomplices, you are wanted for questioning by Chief Constable, Captain, Commissioner, Sheriff, Beefs Impartial on suspicion of breaking, entering, and theft of digital property. Well, there you have it. A sticky predicament indeed. Will our soon-to-be-caged crew fly the coop? Will they have to answer to Beefs for their burglary? Will Vlad seek vengeance against his would-be killers? Will Team Sprocket's rich parents buy them a win at CGA? The answers to all this and more, my dearest darlings, are just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs>